Welcome to this Colorado Legal Education Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Danae Woody, and I'm a family lawyer here in Denver, Colorado. I'm also a member of the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division, as well as the Family Law Section. And hi, this is Allie Smith. I'm also a family law attorney here in Denver, Colorado. I'm a partner with the law firm Harrington, Brewster, and Klein, and we specialize in family law as well as family law mediation and collaborative law. Thanks, Allie. So today we are going to talk a little bit about child and family investigators as well as parental responsibility evaluators. And I was hoping you might be able to kick us off with a description of what those things are and what the differences are between them. Sure. So a CFI, the two, um, the, the, the first person, I suppose I should say, we're talking about is a CFI, and that stands for Child and Family Investigator. And a CFI can be either an attorney or a mental health professional who is appointed by the court in circumstances where allocation of parent or parental responsibilities or parenting time are at issue in the case. Um, the difference between a CFI and a PRE, a PRE stands for Parental Responsibilities Evaluator, is that a PRE needs to be a qualified mental health professional, and they also have the authority to do psychological testing on clients, whereas a CFI is not authorized, absent some um, additional court order or agreement of the parties to do any psych testing. So those are the very high-level distinctions I usually provide to clients um, when initially describing CFI versus is PRE. And one or the other is typically appointed depending on the complexity of issues in the case, whether there's really a mental health issue going on, or if it's really a dispute um, between two parents about the best interest of their children. So with that kind of high-level background um, in mind, I'm wondering, Danae, if you want to kind of describe some circumstances where you have um, advised clients or how you help a client decide when a CFE, CFI versus PRE might be necessary in a case? Sure. So initially when deciding whether to use either of these professionals, as Allie mentioned, we need to analyze what's going on in the case and what's the severity of the parental responsibility issues at play. Um, do we have issues of decision making? Do we have a request by a parent to relocate from the geographic area where the other parent lives? Um, we also really do need to look at the financial resources of the families. So one of the differences between a CFI and a PRE is also that a CFI has an automatic cap on their rates. Um, at the time of this recording, that cap is $2,750. Uh, it could go up in the future, so it's important to check that uh, check out that rate whenever you're deciding to move forward with a CFI. Um, and it's also important to note that the court can authorize a CFI to charge above that amount, but that's just the presumptive cap on those fees. And so a CFI, their scope is going to be a lot more limited in nature to a specific issue. So they don't necessarily jump in and just weigh in on every part of the parental responsibilities and every aspect. And they don't, they don't report to the court on everything that has crossed their mind about what these parents could do better. Instead, what a CFI will do is they'll take a limited issue that the attorneys and that the judge all are aware of and will be set forth in the order of appointment. And they're only going to report on that issue. So if it's a request for relocation and the resulting parenting time arrangement, for instance, that will be what the CFI will report on even when there are other issues such as decision-making at play. 
So a PRE can investigate all of the same issues that a CFI can. However, their scope is not necessarily limited. That means that in cases of incredibly high conflict or in cases with very complex issues, their costs can be astronomical at times. Um, So it's very important to consider how many issues are really at play, um, whether your clients have the financial resources and the time to handle this, and also whether there are uh, mental health issues at play, because a CFI isn't going to be able to um, investigate and evaluate and test for psychological issues. Allie, do you have further thoughts on this one? So, you know, I was just thinking about that, and obviously cost is always such a big question and factor in many of our cases, and and when people are trying to decide CFI, which CFI versus a PRE, a CFI obviously has a much lower cost, um, but because their scope is so limited, often parties worry, and I worry, frankly, as their lawyer, that the CFI is not going to be able to really dig deep and investigate what needs to be investigated, and we try to balance that, obviously, with... Um, the resources of the family or of the client. So one thing that I think um, is helpful, and I've, I've been able to do this in several cases, is asking for the appointment of a CFI, but then asking that the CFI order includes some very limited in scope additional, um, whether it's mental health testing or in additional investigation related to one particular issue that I think um, might not necessarily be addressed in a standard CFI um, you know, investigation. So an example that comes to mind is if there's allegations of one client or of one parent against the other of severe substance abuse, and that's really the limited, you know, big issue, um, we will agree that a CFI can be appointed, but then ask the court to have the CFI do some additional testing or investigation just related to that particular issue, which typically goes somewhat beyond the scope of a traditional CFI and would be more within the scope of a PRE, but I think allows a little bit of flexibility um, for that. And and the other thing that I have found is some CFIs will be willing to do that if we will agree to pay a little bit more than the cap. So So I was going to ask you about that. I think that's a really great idea, and I, I also share Allie's concern that sometimes with the cap in place, CFIs don't necessarily have the time or the resources to dig as deeply as we might want as our parties as our parties and clients might appreciate as well as um, the attorneys we, we want a thorough investigation but we also recognize that um, there's a cap for a reason so I'm glad to hear Allie mention that sometimes that's that's an area where she might ask the court for a little bit of leeway from the cap and to authorize a little bit more funding to send also a message to the CFI that the attorneys really are interested in a thorough investigation on that subject matter. So, Allie, have you have you ever had any experiences with um, a CFI or a PRE going outside the scope of their appointment or um, doing anything that you then had to address during the investigation or after? I have. Um, I think it's, you know, it's hard because we typically, not every CFI is a mental health professional, um, but certainly PREs are mental health professionals. And I think often, as well as for attorneys who are doing the CFI work, they want to help and they want to provide assistance and feedback. But we as attorneys are, you know, really wanting to make sure that they are limited in um, their investigation to what we have very specifically 
ask the court to order what the court has ordered for you know in terms of the scope of their investigation. So I have had instances where CFIs have um, gone above and beyond, either providing some therapeutic input or providing recommendations that go far beyond issues that we ask them to address. And in circumstances where I have seen that happening or have, I call it the creep, the CFI scope creep, if I, if I have some sense that that seems to be going on, I will initially reach out to the CFI and always I will communicate with um, the counsel on the other side, make sure they're copied on any communication, but ask them simply to clarify um, the scope of their role, remind them of the scope of their role, and generally that's been sufficient in cases where it has gone beyond and we've um, you know, have sort of lost control, if you will, of the process. We have been able to address it with the court. Some jurisdictions, some courts here in Colorado or the Denver area at least, are really open to doing phone status conferences. So if we're in the midst of an investigation and have some concern about what really the parameters of the CFI or PRE scope is, we then will um, or can ask the court for a status conference to address the issue, and that's a really cost-effective way to get everyone on the same page. Um, in terms of, of scope. Have you had any situations you want to address? Or, or So um, there have been times when I've wondered if the CFI or the PRE um, fully understood their scope as the attorneys and the court had laid it out. So in certain situations before one of these professionals is appointed, sometimes counsel and the court will actually have in-depth discussions about the intentions and um, what, what information is being needed from these professionals and the professionals aren't, don't have any ability to be aware of what those discussions were other than as set forth in their order of appointment. So there have been situations where maybe the order of appointment hasn't been as clear as the as counsel and the courts initially thought, and that'll start to sometimes come through in conversations you may have with your clients. You may start to hear uh, some discussions that were taking place in the CFI or the PRE's office that might indicate to you that um, further clarification might be necessary. And so in certain situations like that, I might send a letter and copy the opposing counsel on the letter and let the PRE or the CFI know that we can certainly schedule a three-week conference call or something so that everyone is sure to be on the same page. Um, I haven't had it happen often, but it is something that everyone should be aware of is there is a way to address it if you do run into these things. How do you um, choose your CFI or PRE for a particular case? How, how do you go about that process with your clients? So every case is different. And so, for instance, in a case where there may be substance abuse problems or domestic violence problems, those, those issues are different. And there are different professionals out there who are better suited to handle and investigate issues based on their, their own backgrounds. And so... Um, I'm a member, as I mentioned, I'm a member of the Family Law Section Executive Council, and that group actually maintains an expert directory. So that's a great place to go and check it out. There's also um, the CBA Family Law Section provides a, uh, a list serve. There's also a, a pay list serve that the family law community um, is, we all contribute a lot to that, and I think this is a great community, and so everybody's really open to helping each other out with questions and providing suggestions and examples of um, history and different cases where certain experts may have been better than others. So I like to consult those sources. I also maintain my own sort of expert directory internally. Um, I consult those things, and I just consider the background 
of the parties, the background of the professionals, really talk to my clients. I will also consider personality types. I consider personality types of the parties. Um, I consider if the children have any special mental health needs or special education needs. Um, and then I also consider the personalities of the experts that I'm considering. Not everyone works well together and other people sometimes work better with personalities who are different from them. What about you? Right. No, I think that's, I, I generally follow the very same process. I just wanted to add that um, in terms of CFIs in Colorado, they do need to be accredited, I suppose, is the proper term. So yes. they need to go through every um, individual who wants to be a child and family investigator in Colorado needs to file an application with the Supreme Court, and they're ultimately approved and then listed in the counties that they um, are willing to practice. So that's something to be aware of. And, um, you know, if there's a rare situation where you have an attorney on the other side of your case who you, for whatever reason, cannot reach an agreement, um, on who you're going to choose for a CFI or PRE for that matter. But with respect to the CFI, the next thing I will do then is go and look at the list. And, um, and in, you know, worst case scenario, we can ask for the court's feedback if there's some major dispute on who we will appoint um, either as a CFI or PRE. But that list, the CFI approved list, is important to look at um, for each county. And I think just as a professional courtesy, always check with the person you're thinking of appointing um, before you ask the court to appoint them and the court appoints them and then they think, oh my gosh, I've got a trip to Europe planned for three weeks. How am I going to get this done? And now they're court ordered to do it. So I have learned to always make sure my CFI or PRE is going to be available for the time frame that we need the evaluation. Um, that is a great point, Allie, because a lot of the CFIs and PREs in the community who do great work are known for doing great work. And so sometimes they can get a little bit overwhelmed if they have a lot of cases at the same time. So it is a really great idea to check with them first. So uh, the other thing I'd love you to talk about is the question that almost every client has in, in, the, in a situation where they're um, dealing with either a PRE or CFI investigation, and that is, is the court going to do exactly what the CFI report or the PRE report says? So do judges always follow the recommendations of these professionals? Well, my answer to that is much like every other question that a lawyer gets, rarely is the answer ever going to be always. So um, what that means is, can a court follow the recommendations and adopt them wholesale? Absolutely, they can. I've seen it happen. Um, I've also frequently had courts find that the opposite of the PRE or CFI's recommendation would be in the best interest of the child. So the court has the ultimate discretion and the decision-making power in these situations um, if the parties choose to give the court that power by not settling or, or mediating a result that they would be happier with. So do you have thoughts about that as yeah, well? Yeah, I was absolutely. I think um, the point you just made about, you know, if the parties are unable to mediate or settle um, the case, what I found is that a CFI or PRE report, while, you know, both sides probably are going to have some areas of every report that they disagree with, I think they're really effective tools to get both sides focused on settlement and, you know, understanding that, sure, a judge may completely throw the report out for whatever reason, um, but at the same time, my, my experience has been that generally they are going to um, weigh very heavily at least what the CFI or PRE recommends, so I, I think it can be a really effective tool. Uh, for settlement. I agree. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention, if you're interested in learning more about PREs and CFIs, the statutes to take a look at for the PRE is going to be CRS 1410-127. 
And an important statute to take a look at for CFIs is going to be CRS 1410-116.5. With that, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. For more information on this topic and many others, visit cle.copar.org. CLE.